You know, today as we uh, move closer to Christmas, I want to spend some time around some of the Christmas themes and in Scripture especially. Uh, we get a lot of different uh, messages about Christmas, but I want to focus on uh, what the Bible values and what the Scriptures proclaim and what the truths are. And one of them is this, is the miracle of the incarnation, that God became a man. And it's amazing. It's amazing when you think about it that the God of who created the entire universe would become vulnerable and be born in a stable in, uh, in a manger in Bethlehem. John 1.14 says this, The Word became flesh, made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And what we have is a picture of that God of glory became one of us. And John is proclaiming we saw his glory. And what it means is we saw his manifest presence, his, uh, the attributes of the living God was among us. It was amazing. And so he's saying we're writing this to let you in on it, that you can know him too. In Luke chapter 2, what Francis had just read, we come to a town called Bethlehem. And Bethlehem at that day was probably something chaotic was happening in that small city. It probably wasn't sitting so quietly, we see you lie, as the hymn says. But uh, there was a lot of chaos going on because people were returning to their home place of birth or to their tribe. For the Jews... You either belong, if you were a true Jew, you belong to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what you would do is you would come back to that place where you were born or where your family was from. And for uh, Joseph, it was the tribe of Judah. But not only the tribe of Judah, it was a little town called Bethlehem. And so he went there. The reason he went there was is because he was a descendant of King David, who lived a thousand years before him, before Joseph and Mary uh, were ever born. King David had lived there, and God had promised King David this covenant that is amazing to think about because it's an unconditional covenant. Remember we talked about some of the promises of God are conditional? This one was unconditional. And I'd like to read it for you uh, if we have it up here. Do we have it? Oh, I haven't turned it on. Here it is. And this is what God spoke to David through the prophet Nathan when David was on his throne. He says, my love will never be taken away from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. There was a king named Saul who was taken, his throne was taken away and given to David. And this is what he said, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And this is what he told David. David's response to this was he could only do one thing. He could only thank God. He says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. And this is what David prayed. Your covenant is trustworthy. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Sovereign Lord, have spoken with your blessing. The house of your servant will be blessed forever. Now, thousand years later, Kingdoms have come and gone. Israel has been taken over by other nations. There's no longer 
a king of Israel on the throne anymore from the tribe of Judah. But God is still working out his plan. And so we understand the story. There's a woman, a young woman named Mary, who God comes to, the angel comes to, and says this, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Of his father, David. God is still keeping his promises. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And so God is fulfilling the covenant that he promised to David a thousand years before. He's still working, although many people aren't seeing it. And probably even Joseph and Mary don't totally comprehend why they have to go at the eighth month of her pregnancy to Bethlehem, a trip of 90 miles, the pregnant woman, probably on a mule or by foot, it would take, if you did 15 miles a day, it would take you six days to get there. It's not an easy trip, and yet they're going. And they're going here. Joseph is told in a dream that this child that has been born, that's, that Mary's in pregnant with, is from the Holy Spirit. This is a miracle, and you are to take her as your wife, and you are to raise this child. And name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. And so they go on this trip, and they come to Bethlehem, and this child is born, and the miracle begins of God coming to us, the word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, and we understand and see as we read the gospel story all that Jesus taught, all that he did, all the miracles that he did, and then we come also to his death and his resurrection. But what was going on in Jerusalem at that time? For 60 years, it was occupied by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had moved in there already and had conquered it, and they had moved in with their rulers. They set up a puppet king named King Herod the Great. He wasn't even fully Jewish, and yet he called himself the king of Israel. They actually named him that. Why did they name him that? Because Herod was able to get taxes from everybody. He was able to place people in uh, consignment or slavery and build these huge, magnificent buildings, stadiums, palaces, even the temple for worship. And so people looked at him as a great ruler. You know, when you look at uh, rulers in history, a lot of times they'll use as a metaphor for what they believe they are like is they will say, I am like a lion to my enemies. And it's an intimidating thing. If you say, I'm a lion, you know, it doesn't feel very intimidating for me. But if you were King Herod, that would be quite intimidating because he has the power to either throw you into prison, to kill you, to do anything that he wants to you, because he is absolute ruler right then. And so there's people that have, that have uh, dictators and rulers in the world today that even think, them, think of themselves like this, that they are unaccountable. But here it was Herod, this is what he was. It says, a historian says this, <coughs> he was a brutal man who killed his father-in-law Several of his ten wives, two of his sons, 
He ignored the laws of God to suit himself, chose the favor of Rome over his own people. Herod's levied taxes to pay for lavish projects, forced an unfair burden on Jewish citizens. And this is where Joseph is living and Mary is living. And this is the time that God has chosen to send his son into the world. It doesn't seem like the right time. It doesn't seem like it. But God has his sovereign plan. Do you know that the Bible says that, well, the Bible doesn't say, but we understand from the Bible that there's 400 years where God has not spoken through a prophet until Jesus comes. There's no word mentioned of any new prophets speaking from God for 400 years. It's been silent. They call it the silent years. And then all of a sudden, boom, you see the angels singing to the shepherds. You see an angel appearing to Mary. You see Joseph having a dream. And God is beginning to speak, and God is beginning to work and move in powerful ways. All in the midst of a society that has been corrupted by corrupt kings and rulers and dictators. You know, that's why I think Solomon said this about a king's rage. It's often compared to a lion, and I want to take this motif of a ruler being like a lion because it's one of the titles of Jesus. He's from the lion of the tribe of Judah. We actually have a title of Jesus himself being the lion. But this is what Proverbs says. Uh, I'm sorry, this is... uh, so Micah 5, 2, it says, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, you are but a small Judean village, yet you will be the birthplace of my king who is alive from everlasting past, everlasting ages past. So God had his purpose and his plan. Micah said that Bethlehem was supposed to be the place of the Savior's birth, that this Savior was going to come from Bethlehem. So this is fulfilled 700 years This was written 700 years before Jesus was born. And so this idea that uh, this king was going to come from here, and it wasn't Herod. Herod became jealous when he heard of the wise men seeking out a new king that was born because he saw a star in the sky. And Herod became jealous. The Bible says this about a king's rage is like a roar of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. Or a king's wrath strikes terror like the roar of a lion, those who anger him, those who anger him, forfeit their lives. And so we see this motif here of leaders being compared to lions, and then Jesus coming as a baby. The lion, the king of kings and lord of lords, became a lamb. And we're going to see that in the scripture. But during this time, during this time, God's people have been scattered, and they've been oppressed, and they've been oppressed by rulers that are like lions that are are wicked. And this is what it says in Jeremiah. Some of these verses you may have never even read before. I don't know how many people read the Old Testament, but the Old Testament, man, has got some good stuff in it because it actually helps us understand what God was doing in the New Testament. And so a lot of times as you look back in the Old Testament prophecies, you see them fulfilled in the New Testament, or you see some motifs in the Old Testament, like a lion, 
and a lamb, and you see it fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb. And so we understand that. And this is what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah was a prophet during the time when Israel was taken over. And Israel is a scattered flock that lions have chased away. The first to devour them was the king of Assyria. The last to crush their bones was Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And see, even Jeremiah lived in a time when there were wicked rulers that had come in like lions and devoured God's people. It was a difficult time to live. Hosea was somebody else that lived during this time. When Israel and Judah saw how sick they were, that Israel turned to Assyria, the great king there, but he could neither help nor cure them. I will be like a lion to Israel. Now here is a motif where God says, I'm going to be like a lion to my people. Now, God is powerful. When God acts like a lion to us, against us, you're in trouble. And the people of God were in trouble here. I will be like a lion to Israel, like a strong lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces. I will carry them off, and no one will be able to rescue them. And then I will return to my place until they admit their guilt and turn to me. For as soon as trouble comes, they will earnestly search for me. And so what God did in his sovereignty and in his rule, he took Israel, he had them taken over by the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and then they cried out to God, and they came back to him. And so God has that way of working in our lives to bring us back to himself. The next verse in Hosea, it says this in Hosea 6, 1 through 3, it says this, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but now he will heal us. He has injured us, but now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. What a beautiful picture that is. Even though God had torn them and hurt them, they were gonna, he said, come back to me and I'll restore you. And that's the beautiful picture that God always gives us of his love for us, to bring us back to himself. How many of you have seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? You seen that book or read the books by, seen the movie or read the books by uh, C.S. Lewis? And there's a picture of uh, Aslan, uh, who is, the main character is Jesus as a lion. His name is Aslan, and C.S. Lewis writes this allegory, but it's definitely a, de a depiction of Jesus. And in one of the um, pictures here, uh, here, I've got a picture of it here, C.S. Lewis here is with, um, he wrote this story about this great lion and these children that are on this trip with this lion and this adventure. And Susan, the little girl here, uh, I don't know if you can see her there, but she's the youngest girl she has never met Aslan. This is before she had ever met him. And she asked a little beaver who was the guide on the trip. She asked him this, Aslan is a lion? The great lion? And Susan says, oh, I thought he was a man. <coughs> is he safe? I shall feel very nervous about meeting a lion. And this is what Mr. Beaver says. He says, safe? 
Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king, I tell you. You see, what C.S. Lewis was showing was that Jesus' character, uh, he, he, we sometimes make Jesus out to look as somebody that is not who he says he is. He says he is God. He is all-powerful. He's all-sovereign. Is he safe? Yeah, he's safe, but, uh, but you have to follow him. He's a leader. He's our king. John the Baptist takes this motif, and in Christmas, what we see is that the lion becomes the lamb, right? The lion becomes the lamb. Now, <coughs> of course, we'd be intimidated by a lion, but I don't know if you've ever been around a, a, an animal farm and you've seen the little sheep or the little lambs. They're really cuddly. They're nice. They don't hurt. They don't bite. You know, you can feed them the little uh, things they give you, that little brown pellets, whatever they are. You know, and they'll, they'll eat right out of your hand. They're, they're, they're very calm and domesticated. And you know, when John the Baptist introduced Jesus to his disciples, you know what he told them. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say, behold, the lion who will roar and intimidate you. No, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's going to take away your sin. Now, where did John get this picture of Jesus being the Lamb? Well, it's throughout the whole Old Testament. It talks about a sacrificial Lamb. But especially in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 7, it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him, on the lamb, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. The lion the King of kings, the Lord of lords, became a lamb on purpose, intentionally, to pay for our sin. You know, many people didn't follow Christ when He came. They could not understand His mission, His personhood, His teaching, His direct um, resolve to proclaim that He was God. They just could not understand that. Because he appeared to them like a lamb. He appeared to them like a regular man. But he was the king of kings and lord of lords. You know, today, when we come to the communion table, it represents something amazing. It represents the actual king of kings and lord of lords became one of us and then also sacrificed himself for us to take away our sins. You know, when the Apostle John wrote and was taken up into heaven and had a, had a vision of heaven, it says here that uh, in chapter 5 of Revelation, I just want to read the beginning part of it to you. So John's taken up into heaven, 
And when he has this vision of heaven, in chapter 4, there are thousands of angels in worship around this throne. And it is a glorious picture of God's throne. He's trying to describe it as best as he can in human terms, but it's, it's indescribable. But you get the idea that it's glorious, it's majestic. And then he sees at the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writings on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? It's in fact, it's almost like this worship is going on, and then all of a sudden, God puts out a scroll, and there's like an interruption in the worship. There's something that is suspenseful. There's a tension here. And, it's, and John feels it. He said, I wept and wept, for no one was found who was worthy to open up the scroll or look inside. John says, I know that scroll's got to be open for the end of the age and the new heaven and the new earth to come about and for God to wrap up this whole thing, his whole plan. But who could open up the scroll? And John is weeping. And then one of the elders, it says, said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah... The root of David has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. And so there it was in this picture is the lion is there, but he's also a lamb. You know, sometimes we sing the song, the lion and the lamb. These are some of the verses. He's coming on the clouds. Kings and kingdoms will bow down, and every chain will break as broken hearts declare his praise. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before him. Then it says this, our God is the lamb. The lamb that was slain for the sins of the world, his, his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Every knee will bow before him. Now the question is this today as we come to the communion table. Do you need the lamb of God in your life? I know I do. I need the lamb of God in my life. I need the lamb of God in my life because... He is the only way I can be forgiven as I make my claim for His blood to cleanse me for all my sin. And that's true of every one of us. So when we come to the communion table, there's no, there's no mistake why Jesus instituted the cup and the bread, and He said, this cup is the covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. He's proclaiming again, I am the lamb that was slain for you. I'm the one that gave myself for you. But you also may need the lion in your life, right? Because when we're weak, when we think things are out of control, 
We need somebody to step up and bring our chaos back into order. And it's the lion of the tribe of Judah who's worthy to take the scroll, who's worthy to take our lives and reveal to us what we need in our lives, what we truly need. You need strength for today. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's still fighting our battles. So as we prepare our hearts for communion today, I encourage you. You know, the Christmas story, it's a beautiful story. But behind it is packed thousands of years of history of prophetic words that were spoken and fulfilled. And God's plan continued to carry on strategically right up into today. Even in our lives today. Jesus Christ's death, his sacrifice for our sins, his resurrection, his ascension, and his second coming, we have still not yet seen, but we will see it. Just as we saw what he did in his first coming. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that you are the lion of the tribe of Judah and that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the world's sins. And Lord, you have taken away our sin. We've come to know you and proclaimed you as our Lord and our Savior. We confessed our sins before you. You have forgiven them. And Lord, today as we celebrate communion, Lord, Would you draw us closer to yourself? Would you help us to see your sovereign plan in our lives? When Joseph and Mary looked back at their lives, they could see you had a purpose and a plan for them being born into the family that they were in, a design for your plan to use them to be an integral part of all eternity. And Lord, you do the same for us. You want us to be a part of your plan. To usher in your second coming. We pray that you'll guide us and lead us and teach us what that means in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.